Our scripture lesson today comes from Isaiah chapter 35, verses 1 through 10. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall all see the glory of the Lord and the majesty of our God. Strengthen the weak hands and make the firm and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who are of a fearful heart, be strong, do not fear. Here is your God. God will come with vengeance, with terrible recumbents. God will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf, deaf unstopped. And the lame shall leap like a deer and the tongue of the speechless sing for joy. For water shall break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool and the thirsty ground springs of water. The, hunt of, the haunt of the jackal shall become a swamp and the grass shall become reeds and rushes. A highway shall be there and it shall be called the holy way. The unclean shall not travel on it, but it shall be for God's people. No traveler, not even fools, shall go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come upon it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. These are our sacred stories. Not ready, too soon, too early, in the wrong place, not at the right time. Our election for this morning is arguably in the wrong place. I don't mean a mistake was made on our end. This is not last week's time for children. Isaiah 35, most scholars agree, is a word out of place, a passage that shows up before it should. This section of Isaiah, where this chapter falls, is about the impending exile, the doom and destruction that are coming, the desolation that lies around the corner, the beginnings of which are unfolding even now. Isaiah 35, like our other Advent passages from Isaiah, is from proto-Isaiah or first Isaiah, meaning this passage is among those before the exile. But you'll remember that Sean read the words, and the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. But the exile hasn't happened yet. Also, the chapter just before our passage is a poem filled with ecological destruction. In that chapter we read, the streams of Eden shall be turned into pitch and her soil into sulfur. Her land shall become burning pitch. Thorns shall grow over its strongholds, nettles and thistles covering its orchards. So the words of our chapter, our lection for today, are out of place. They're a surprise. Isaiah 35 interrupts the devastation and the despair. It sounds much more like the final chapters of Isaiah. 
the ones who are addressing the exiles returning. Listen again. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert will rejoice and blossom like a crocus blossoming abundantly. They will rejoice and sing. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who are of a fearful heart, be strong and do not fear. Here is your God. Waters will break forth in the wilderness and streams will come in the desert. The burning sands will become a pool of water and on the thirsty ground will be springs of water. If you read chapter 34, you're waiting for disaster. You know it's coming. And then this poetry shows up when no one's looking for it. It shows up not just to offer a vision of some future, though it does that beautifully, and describing an unlikely wilderness that will come alive, bursting with new life. It shows up to challenge the people, to challenge us in this very moment. The first few lines about nature are in the future tense. A, a desert shall blossom. This is the future. But then the verbs switch abruptly to the present tense. We see hands that have grown weak, soft and slack from disuse. They can hold nothing. They no longer do the work that they were made for. Isaiah says it's time, time now, to make those hands strong. And we see a pair of knees, knees that have given way to staggering and stumbling. You can't walk. Isaiah says, now is the time to make them strong and firm. And then we see people whose hearts and minds are racing, gripped by anxiety. And Isaiah says, now is the time. Tell them, tell the people, says Isaiah, be strong and do not fear. If you open your eyes and you look, you will see right here is your God, right here, right now. The people could not wait until a more appropriate time to hear these words. They needed them now. I think we might need them now too. Need them now, not at the end of Isaiah, but this day, the third Sunday of Advent. However these words made it to chapter 35, I'm grateful. Perhaps some scribe just couldn't leave all the doom and destruction without some word of joy, some word of hope. Seems to me that sometimes what we need shows up, however it does, well before we think we're ready for it. Not ready, too soon, too early in the wrong place, not at the right time. We didn't even have a baby bed yet. We expected to have three more months to prepare for my brother's birth, but he came too soon and we were not ready. Many of you have met my brother Blake over the years. He hasn't been here recently because he was stationed first in England and now he's stationed in Germany. But even if you've never met him, if you've been coming for a while, you've heard me talk about him. 
In fact, one Advent, when the scripture was Zachariah's song, I told you about Blake's name and how he didn't have one for months. He didn't have a name for the same reason he didn't have a bed. We weren't ready. Blake was due in November. He was born in May. He weighed one pound and 15 ounces the day he was born. In 1987, babies as premature as Blake was almost never survived. None of his doctors or nurses in the NICU expected him to live. His older sister and brother didn't expect him to live. His father did not expect him to live. His mother was dead. His mother, our mother, died the day that he was taken from her womb. Much like the unexpected, untimely, surprising joy and possibilities of Isaiah 35, Blake arrived too soon and came into our despair. But listen to me, he didn't end our grief. He did not make everything better, but he did bring flowers and waters into the desert of our mourning. Flowering and waters and dry, parched lands of our despair. Nothing would bring our mother back, and Blake gave us tangible reasons to get up in the morning to smile, to keep going. Isaiah 35 gives us a word out of place, a word that refused to wait until things improved, a word that comes too early, a word that comes just when it is most needed. Several years ago, sometime before lockdown, I went with a good friend to hear Rob Bell preach about the biblical book of Ecclesiastes. I could remember parts of this sermon, but not his exact words, so I found an article entitled, Rob Bell on Joy, Suffering, and the Brilliance of Ecclesiastes. I love it when Google answers your questions. Bell said, a lot of modern people get tied up in knots over Ecclesiastes because they try to read it like you would a self-help book. Here's how to get happy. And I say, no, no, here's how to get so sad that you might actually find joy. There's a certain subversion to it. If you can tune into it, it changes your life. He continues. The brilliance of Ecclesiastes is However bad you think it is, it's worse. Your starting point is, we're all going to die, maybe soon. And if you can accept that, now you actually have a shot at joy. Look at this wonderful gift of life. The poet Roca said, to be here is glorious. And for many people, they're so overwhelmed with sorrow and very real suffering in the world. Life is so fragile. It's so temporary. A lot of people say, just try really, really hard to have a happy life. 
but they end up more miserable than ever. Some of our capitalist ideals about just get a bunch of stuff, be healthy, accumulate some nice things and avoid the bad things and you'll be happy, leave people more miserable than ever. So we have this ancient tradition in Ecclesiastes that says, no, 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 go about it totally differently. Go into the heart of all the sadness and the anxiety and the loss. Go all the way into it. And on the other side, you might actually find something. They'll conclude. For many people, joy is, if I could just get my life all cleaned up and get to the top of the mountain, I could escape all of the grit and sweat and grime of life, the bills, the problems, the annoying co-workers, the obnoxious neighbor. But joy is about opening your eyes to the absurdity, to the funny, to the unexpected surprises, to the creativity. It's right below the surface everywhere. You don't need to go to the top of the mountain. So you show up at work and that strange coworker goes on and on about how much they love tuna salad. And you think, this person exists, look at them. And you delight in that. It's like you have a whole new lens for everything. Lean into the absurdity because God is there. I know we're not reading Ecclesiastes today, and I think Rob Bell is right. The suffering is connected to the joy, just like in Isaiah. One doesn't require the other, certainly not. And we can survive the despair when it comes and it will come. Life is fragile and fleeting. We can survive it if we lean into the joy that surrounds us. And I don't mean just the joy of magical moments that happen rarely. I mean the joy of every moment. The butterfly you glimpsed on your way into worship this morning. Or the raindrop that fell on your head depending on what time you arrived. The overheard laughter. The friend whose quirky habits bring a smile to your face. A cat video, the love shining in the face of another human walking this precious and precarious life with you. Not ready, too soon, too early, in the wrong place, not at the right time. Every May 31st, my brother's birthday, and the day of my mother's death, everyone, there is deep sadness, such sadness that snatches my breath away. And everyone, there is joy, such pride and delight. Not one or the other. Every day of happiness for me has also been a day of sorrow. And I'm here to tell you that one doesn't erase the other. Burning sands can know pools of water. Deserts can know flowers and bloom. 
joy is here. It's all around us. The sorrow and the pain do not need to be our only companions. This Advent, let's be surprised anew by joy, everyday joy, the kind that's everywhere, that comes maybe when it's least expected. The ransom shall return to the Lord. They will come to Zion with singing and everlasting joy will be upon their heads. They will obtain joy and gladness. Amen.